0: Yeah, deep fried noodle.
1: Mm. <laughs> and you don't even soften it. You take the noodle cake. Yeah, just noodle, jump it in there. Straight in the hot oil. Yeah. That's no seasoning. You... Take it out and just eat it. <laughs> it shatters well, like glass in your mouth. You I do know recover. people that
0: like to eat the like uncooked dried diminut yeah, noodle. It's a snack. And you put like if you get the Maggi ones, you put like the chicken yep. flavoring, which mm-hmm. is just it's just chicken stock
1: powder, right? Yeah, I don't recommend doing it.
0: No, it's like powdery and crunchy, and it hurts it. Math.
1: I don't know why people do it. I know that, you know, I'm not going to judge someone for I mean, eating I'm dry noodles. I'm going to judge uh, people. They are wrong about it.
0: Yeah. Like, I don't want to say that they're wrong, but they are.
2: They are. I wouldn't say it to their face. That'd be mean. That would be mean. are like, why are you eating that? You're wrong. I used to double double do the packets of Migoring. goring. So you'd do them as a teenager. You'd make two and you'd mix it in one bowl. You
1: just, do, you just make two patches of macaroni yeah. for yourself. Yeah. And you just eat the noodle, no extra ingredients, just noodles and sauce?
2: No, no, everything. Fried onion, the whole... Oh, works. the fried... Yes, okay. You've got to have
1: the that's fried not onion. extra ingredients that's in the packet. I'm talking about adding any kind
2: of substance to the instant <laughs> noodle at all. You don't so you're need, need substance when noodles. you're a
0: teenager. You just need calories, in right?
2: Calories. And the runs, apparently, which is all that really achieved. Oh, uh, oh wow.
0: Wow. <laughs> so... <laughs> podcast really went into an interesting direction yeah, if you're eating very all those cars, quickly you, you
1: do need to go for a run right yeah
0: <laughs> that was that's what you
1: mean yeah
0: that's what i are talking about
2: <laughs> I, I should have mean, done more of that
1: we're actually. not talking about uh like cholera
2: level shitting of oneself <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh god well i'm so glad that we've already gotten to it Pooping
2: and touched on the student malnutrition, which is a serious it's issue. A serious it's a serious issue. issue. Yes, Overwork, yeah. under eat.
0: Yeah, just like get an Two, orange occasionally and just eat an orange.
2: Don't yeah. get
1: scurvy. Everyone. Please. It's Avoid a real scurvy endemic. As much as you can. And if you do shit yourself, tell a friend. Tell a friend. Take care of each other. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Individuals. Three microphones.
1: (laughs) Three walk in, none walk out (laughs) because it's fucking nap time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Music and Everything Podcast. It's good to have you with us. As usual, my name is Jim. (laughs) Don't ask. Uh, And I'm also here with the Sam's. Hello. And we're we're going to be talking about some stuff today. We we realized when we did our episode on Australiana, um, we covered so much and it was so much fun. But in hindsight, there was so much that we missed and that we didn't actually get to cover. And so we're actually going to make this part two of Australiana, which I'm very excited about. Part deux. Part deux.
2: Yes. So... (laughs) uh, There are a few things that we didn't quite cover to the extent that we wanted to. So, And, you know, in the last episode, and we should say that some of those things are pretty serious in nature because mm. if you're talking about a country, you know, I, I think, you know, you might think, oh, Australia is a very silly place. And if you listen to our last episode, you might be left with the impression that it is. Um, and you're correct. But of course, any country has got a sort of um, dark history in many ways. And there's many important things that we need to acknowledge Um and also some many silly things that we missed as well <laughs> and some oddities mm. about Australia, which we'd love to talk more about. So there's going to be some ups and downs, is what you're saying in this yes. episode.
1: Ebbs um, and flows. Ebbs and flows. Serious. to Look, we're just going to ride this wave, guys. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Samantha, you are our chief investigator. Yes, I again, am wearing the hat. Oh that's That's how, did that's it how get? I know. How did it um, get? Because I don't, I'm not involved in any of the hard work for the podcast. So I'm only finding this out now just by looking at you. So um, I'll let you start how... Are we going to begin talking about Australia today?
0: Well, we're going to start with talking about New Zealand. Uh, okay. Uh, so <laughs> it might seem odd, but I do. So you know how I mentioned in the previous episode yes. that Federation, 1901, most boring aspect of Australian history. okey doke The only there's two kind of interesting aspects when we talk about Federation. Can You'll I, have to admit, I, I will, slightly even interesting. Even I, Ian, <laughs> e, e I can admit this. One, New Zealand almost joined. And two, Western Australia almost did it. So New
1: Zealand almost joined Australia as a state. As a state as of a Australia, as a
0: part of federation. And they were like, Ah, I'm good. <laughs>
1: and then Fuck, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Western Australia was sort of like until literally like I think day of signing the piece of paper was like, I'm good. And then they were like, oh, all right, all right, I I'll, think I'll join. A and man- they've regretted, a it few of them have regretted
3: it ever since. <laughs>
0: so I get that feeling. Um and so I think that's really interesting to sort of then talk about New Zealand because I feel like New Zealand often gets tacked on with Australia when, like, we're talking, like, on a global scale. It's always, like, Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, I mean,
1: even down to the, like, the mytho-historical Anzacs, the Australian New Zealand Army Corps in the World Wars and stuff. Exactly. They're, like, really tight-knit.
0: Yeah, and we we do have a pretty close relationship with our neighbour, our cooler, younger neighbour that is New Zealand.
1: The nicer Australia vibe. Yeah,
0: and so I thought that we would start with New Zealand because I think it was, like, a massive hole in our conversation around Australia.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Samuel, you're the one that actually looked into New Zealand as a as a place that exists. It's a real place too. So i will be real. Mm. I
2: don't have much to say about this. But what I want to say is that last episode, um, I personally spoke a lot about the shortening of things and, and hyperchristics as they're known, the, the uh, short and little cute ab- abbreviations the and abrevs. abrevs. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, the abrevis. The brevies, the bevies, the, the bevies. bevies with the boys, the brevies with the boys.
0: you <laughs> are <laughs> just gonna do some word association Smoko. for a while now. <laughs> <Yes>. Smoko,
2: <laughs> um, dingo. Yes, it's not actually short for anything. So what does this have to do with banana. New Zealand? Well, they have that as well to a limited oh, extent. Okay. So yeah, like um, yeah, and there's a lot of commonalities in terms of the um, the, the the kind of manipulation of English that this part of the world has has generated... Our,
1: our approach to...
2: Our comedy approach to dialogue. <laughs> yes. Uh. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like, a lot of the sense of humor, obviously, most people would, would think are oh, mm. kind of related. The sort of... The taking the piss of like, yeah. uh, of, of yourself and of your country is yeah. sort of something that New Zealand and Australia share. It's very familiar. And it's something that I really wanted to mention last time when I was talking about that. And it slipped my mind. A bit of New Zealand erasure that um, I think is do, First of all, how dare you?
1: Um, <laughs> I do have a story about this. I was... Um, on tour to New Zealand for the the only time that we've played there, actually. We played a, a headline show in Wellington, which was just amazing. And we supported the Swedish band Opeth in Auckland, which was equally as amazing. Uh, and it was an incredible incredible trip. But I remember we, we arrived stupidly late at night on this flight, this cheap, cheap flight that we took, um, because that's, that's the life we live. Um, and I remember getting off the plane, and we'd flown directly from Sydney, where we had played another show. And the difference in the vibe, even with no one around at that time, for some reason, it was just coming from the, t- the tension because Sydney is a big place. It's a busy place. Uh, there's a lot of uh, negatives that I could say about Sydney as a Queenslander <laughs> as well. And I always feel tense when I'm there. And then we got off the plane in New Zealand and the, the guy who ran the venue that we were playing at was there waiting for us. You know, like dreadlocks down to his knees. (laughs) this dude, the chillest guy ever. And it was really late. He'd arranged a van for us. He was just really polite. And immediately I just went like, oh, this is is nice. Straight away the pressure was off and the place was really (laughs) nice. So I feel like the vibe is just better, man.
0: Also in New Zealand in pubs, they have to serve food when they're serving alcohol, which you'd think would be like a good rule but like up until closing time so like if you're at a pub at 12 30 they have to be able to provide you with like hot chips
2: the kitchen must the be kitchen open.
0: must be open well, at least
2: they have to have like a fryer they have to have a to- fryer
0: working that sounds
2: uh
1: like the best possible outcome for c- civilization yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that's just kind of like knowing humanity's uh desire for the late night kebab and just running with it
0: yeah and they also have like a lot of pubs so like uh, honestly a country (laughs) after our own heart here in Queensland um but yeah I mean and I think New Zealand's probably gonna pop up in and out throughout this episode Mm. because there's a lot of fun comparisons that we Mm. can make when we when we kind of get further along um
1: do you feel as though there's a rivalry
0: I think it's difficult to call it a rivalry when they're winning
2: Uh (laughs) well it's See, are, it's I just talking truth about
1: to begin the podcast
2: with? <laughs> are you talking about sport in that context? Because that's kind of the
0: well. Yeah, obviously we're talking about in, the, in in rugby they are beating us. In politics they've beat us. In, in niceness in
1: they beat ways. us. Well, we're sort of coupled with them a little bit better um, now.
0: Yeah, and we definitely have a... I mean, we recently had a a beautiful record exchange between (laughs) the
1: leaders.
0: (laughs)
3: uh, Oh, we.
1: You know how last time I was talking about Scott Morrison being an absolute fuckhead and the Prime Minister, and hopefully in the future he's not. Well, he's not. He got fucking embarrassed at the election. He did. And uh, we recently had a a visit from Jacinda Ardern. JJ Supreme. uh, (laughs) Okay. uh, The Prime Minister of New (laughs) Zealand. And uh looks like we're going to get along just fine <laughs> um, with uh, Anthony Albanese the new prime minister and indeed a labor majority government here in Australia which is very exciting Woo! for those of us who want any action on climate change
0: at all. Yeah.
2: But there's many things we have in common in New Zealand and one of them is the love of Jacinda Ardern. Yes, she's yeah. prime minister of New Zealand. She's a boss. She's for awesome. Some time.
0: And we have a lot of commonalities as well. Obviously New Zealand is a settler colonial uh, uh country and they they settled in New Zealand um but a key distinct difference perhaps between Australia and New Zealand is their relationship with the Maori people on the island so they have a treaty is that how it's pronounced um I honestly have heard so many different ways of pronouncing it I'm pretty certain it's. See,
1: for me, it's like it's somewhere between like because, of course, like the very Australian tendency is to go Maori. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's sort of halfway between what you said and Maori, so it's like almost like a Maori kind of thing. Yeah, that's around does, there.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a, um, a. Please
1: correct us if we're wrong, people. Hit yeah, yeah,
0: it's a mouth shape that is not a common. Like it's a sound shape that's not very common in Australian English. Right. Okay. So it's, like, it's, well, it's quite difficult. The same difficult. reason
1: that, that Aussies find it hard to pronounce, um, like uh, you know, Mandarin or the things exactly. like that, it's like there are vowel shapes that just don't exist. in our Yeah, way.
0: they're just like our muscles, the way that our mouths move. So mm. I do find it very difficult to to sort of again. It's and it's. Uh, I know lots of New Zealand people, and they have tried over and over again to teach me how to say <laughs> it. It's just <laughs> I not something. It's just you. I, I think it's you. just me. Um, and so. They have a treaty, and they had a treaty, uh, treaty of Waitangi, uh, and they've had that for a very, very long time. Mm. Australia does not have a treaty we with don't. our Indigenous Australians. In fact, Australians. we have
1: uh, actively avoided it. Uh, yeah, for a long time.
0: Um, and so, I think that that is going to be our very, our, our very not great transition into talking about yeah. some of the darker parts of our of our past. Very, very briefly, but very seriously. Mm. Um, I just want to make a disclaimer that. Obviously, we are all white Australians, so we're not speaking for Indigenous people about their experience of being in Australia. But what we're trying to do here is sort of engage with the narrative that keeps persisting that we spoke about in our last episode, this white narrative. The
2: myth of the, you know, the Bush myth almost. Mm. Yeah, and
0: sort of kind of maybe critique that a little bit and just bring in that Indigenous Aspect of that history, mm,
1: some of the reality of yeah. the country rather than the the mytho-historical. Exactly, background.
0: exactly. Because you know, hopefully, with this tra- change in government, we're hoping to see maybe some positive movements mm. in this in this relationship between Indigenous Australians. In fact, it's, and it's us. sort
1: of been specifically stated. I mean, I'll paraphrase uh, the now Prime Minister Anthony Albanese in his campaign. He was talking. One of the tenets of uh, his Labor Party was to take action to celebrate sharing the the land with uh, the oldest living civilization in history, yeah. uh, which is true facts uh, yeah. and really important to say. And I think they have a goal to uh, take action and, and move forward on this the reconciliation journey that we were yeah. talking about last time.
0: And so that's actually a really great segue into one Fuck
1: of yeah. <laughs> I did it again.
0: Yeah, um, into talking about one of the things that I think is a common misconception about Australia as a country, and it's kind of immortalised in our national anthem, the idea that we are a young country. And like, whilst yes, the concept of Australia as a nation is quite young, but the the occupation of Australia, the landmass, is ancient. As you said, they mm. we are we are like privileged to share this landmass with one of the oldest continuing civilizations. And in fact, to the point where throughout I think all of our education. The length of time that we've been estimating Indigenous Australians have been on this landmass keeps getting larger and larger and larger mm,
1: because there's more and more archaeological kind of discovery. And um, actually, there was one I, I remember long ago when I was at university. Um, the one one of the the topics that we covered was um, was this, and it was like archaeologically. Is that a word? <laughs> Archaeological. We're claiming it. <laughs> it starts here. Um the the evidence, the the kind of earliest evidence that we have uh of indigenous civilization on this landmass is inland. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's, it's in like, the
0: centre of Australia. So
1: it's like obviously there were I mean, you don't just go you know and just and pop there it is a fucking massive place and to make that journey wouldn't be the first thing you do so the implication is that despite the fact that this is is something something like a hundred thousand years or something crazy i don't know what it is specifically but it's a long time you can look it up um the journey would have started coastal if we're talking about an arrival Mm -hmm. from uh uh, land from other places yeah the theory is they
0: entered through cape york which is the tip Tippy tippy top of of Australia, which uh, is very close to Papua New Guinea, mm-hmm. and there was this theory, and it's it's kind of a, a theory that is being you know is being tested and sort of being into uh, interrogated, but it's it's holding up about this land connected landmass called Sahul, which sort of exists underneath. Basically, that when the oceans were a bit lower, it, uh, it allowed sort of land bridges between Asia, Papua New Guinea, and then kind of connected it to Australia, and we think that that's how. Indigenous population sort of entered.
2: Yeah, because you, the Sahul is essentially you track those oceans, and suddenly the island of New Guinea, um, in English, is part of the same continent as Australia. Yes, Tasmania is connected to Australia, mm. so it's just a much, much larger landmass. And so it's the land bridge idea. Um, and I really love that it. it's it's not the only um theory. No, because the other one is to do with if there wasn't a land bridge, then um this may have been the first water voyage like boat mm. voyage yes. in human history. Yes. This is how far ago so we're
1: people. Here. And I mean and, yeah exactly because it's that long ago, but I mean the implication then being that if that was if that theory is correct and that's where um indigenous Australians arrived from that would have been so much earlier than the earliest uh Records. archaeological evidence <laughs> that we have of occupation of Australia.
0: Yeah, so I don't know if you guys remember, but when I went through high school, primary school and high school, I think at that point it was like 40,000 years. And then when I got Mm. to the end of high school, it was revised to be 60,000 years. Now we're looking at somewhere between 70,000 years and potentially 120,000 years. Because there has been some evidence that has recently come up, uh, which was published in 2018, about some evidence of fires, like controlled fires in Mm -hmm. southwest Victoria that happened 120,000 years ago. So that's okay. like evidence, and they're still sort of investigating this lead that they have because it's still early days in this in this in- inquiry. But there is some presence of human activity on this on this landmass 120,000 years ago.
2: Wow! I want to give some context to that in terms of like um, humans spread around the globe. Okay, so mm. um, when we think about. Uh, so actually, I'll, I'll talk about Ireland because, you know, Ireland is where, you know, Jim, you and I have ancestor, ancestry in Ireland. We do. And so the people of Ireland are indigenous to that island um, for all for all that means. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they are absolutely justified being indigenous to that island. They've fought for that land and control of that land. Um, the people that modern Irish people descend from first arrived at that island uh, via land bridge mm-hmm. of ice. Um, eight to ten thousand years ago, eight to ten thousand. Jesus Christ! <laughs> humans have only been in Europe since about forty-eight, forty-eight thousand years ago.
0: Like continual so, occupation of Europe, forty-eight thousand. Con- yeah, ago. continual
2: operation, uh, um, occupation of Europe by Homo sapien humans. Because mm-hmm. um, Neanderthal were already there. Yeah, because um, we talked about Neanderthals last episode, so <laughs> we yes. keep with that. They keep coming up. Um, I think it's
1: important. <laughs> We're not going to, you know, erase Neanderthals from the human equation.
2: Um, yeah, so you know that, that gives a time scale there in terms of just like, um, just how long ago that is. Exactly, just impossibly long ago. And keep in mind mm. as well that this is humans coming out of Africa. All humans coming out of Africa. So, uh, Africa and Australia are. Ages away. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> but close. all you could do is walk. Yeah. Um, so,
1: can I ask? Do you know, off the top of your, off your, of your nut, um, how long ago we have last evidence of Neanderthals? Like when Neanderthals were kind of dying out at
2: all? I do not know.
1: That would be a very interesting point of context.
2: Hmm. I could. Do we want to do
1: a Samantha Google?
0: Yeah, we'll do a quick little Google, and I can actually Google and talk at the same time because I can multitask. Whoa, wow, mother
1: oh,
3: of me Pearl. Go. Um,
0: Good and luck. so. There's obviously there's um, you made a, you made, raised a really interesting point as well about like this relationship between evidence of occupation and the likelihood of them having been here with um ha- having having like kind of occupied this land without yeah, the evidence implication
1: of an early of, arrival, of an earlier arrival
0: yeah. because when we're thinking about things that um, create like fossil records or or things like that we're talking about like they're building things out of natural products which means they're going to degrade over time. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's one of the. I don't think I spelled Neanderthal right just then. Oh my god. Um,
1: <laughs> Google knows. It'll sort it for uh, you.
0: Forty thousand years ago.
1: So there you go. For for context, we're talking about. It's we're saying upwards of. 70, you said upwards of seventy, possibly up to one hundred and twenty thousand. Yeah. Like we're literally talking about thirty to sixty thousand years. Before Neanderthals died out, yes, they would have. Indigenous Australians occupying Australia.
0: I believe that they interacted on their way with Denisovans. With Denisovans.
2: Denisovans were a hominid. That were um, in like you know Siberia, pre pre mm-hmm.
0: right? Or or homogeneous. I Actually, don't know
2: anything about Denisovans, but I know that they were there at that time, <laughs> and that's that's why you know certain timings of of humans traveling to the continent of Australia because um they interacted with Denisovans. Yeah, <laughs> so it's likely Genetic that they. Studies.
0: Yeah, it's likely that they interacted with, um. Yeah, Denisovans—they almost certainly interacted with other pre-Homo sapien uh, Homo. Um, yeah, species. S- species. Mm. Um, so they've they've been around for a very very long time. It's just insane. Yeah, I mean, and, and
1: that's the context that that blows my noggin. Like that, you know, we're not just talking about like a, you know, oh yeah, of course, because the p- part of the the kind of mytho-historical thing is it's just like oh they were here first, but. Mm. You know what I mean, mm. um, but like putting that in context of just um, species that we can't even conceive of that weren't human, but thought and acted in a similar mm. way that we did, that died out in in a time that is just so far removed from us that we can't even conceive of that. And uh, Indigenous Australians were here way, way, way before, before they even died out. So it's that that's insane.
0: Yeah, and so that's a really, really important context when we then think about things like um, invasion and mm. settlement of Australia. And there's this this continual sort of like and it's it's like almost australians australian historians goal to completely counteract this myth of peaceful settlement
3: mm.
0: um and so there was this whole socio-political movement um called the history wars which was essentially started by this idea of frontier conflict existing in the first place so there was a lot because of resistance it had been because swept it swept under the rug kind yeah of and yeah and so i i wanted to sort of bring to mind one particular example of an actual pitched battle that mm. occurred, like a what us Western people would categorize as a as a conflict by any other metric, mm. mm-hmm. um, to sort of really counteract this idea that there was no resistance to this movement and that these the Indigenous Australians didn't push back. Mm. And so this is the Battle of One Tree Hill, which actually happened out Toowoomba. Way.
2: Toowoomba um, is just west of Brisbane.
0: Yeah, um, and it's up on a hill. Um, so Toowoomba is already elevated, but this is a hill that's near it. Um, so this happened in 1843 and essentially what, there, were, there were three stages to this conflict. Um, so it occurred at Mount Tabletop is what we call it, but it's also known as One Tree Hill, which is why it's called the Battle of One Tree Hill. And you had sort of this initial ambush stage where um, you actually have um, the Yagara mob come from the east into this area. So they're not actually from this this region, but they sort of were moving to try and like force out uh, settlement squatters as they were commonly referred to at this time period. Mm. they managed to um, push them out by ambushing them and like uh, stopping their packs from being able to move and 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 essentially uh, forcing forcing them back to where they started. Mm. So because they had such good knowledge of the terrain, they were able to essentially obstruct using like saplings and logs obstruct the movement and then sort of ambush.
1: Mm, In a form of guerrilla warfare.
0: In a form of guerrilla warfare. um, The squatters then tried to come back and they arrived, basically they were pushed out. They came back with a group and this was when they had like a proper pitched battle. Mm. But again, because the indigenous uh, warriors had knowledge of the landscape, they did this mock retreat up One Tree Hill. Mm. And basically, were able to beat them. So, mm. they, they held spears, stones, they rolled boulders. So, we were talking about guns versus spears, which is the typical arrangement at that time period because mm-hmm. all of the settle, uh, people who settled had those sorts of weaponry. But because the um, squatters had no knowledge of the terrain, they were completely outnumbered and completely out, outgunned, if we want to, as it were, yeah. as it were mm. and were. Um, Forced to retreat, and they they didn't come back. And this has a legacy of having like, it was the one of the first examples in which indigenous uh warriors defeated the sort of invading Europeans mm. in an actual battle.
2: Or at least it was a really rare occurrence, and I think yes. that's why it's become really like historically um like symbolic. Yes, it's, of that resistance. Yeah.
0: yeah, and so it has a long term legacy about this. Um, like kind of cementing and it's been now uh, there's monuments and it's been immortalized at the location about Mm. this genuine conflict resistance to settlement. Because
1: it's a lot harder to sweep under the rug. I mean, it might be very convenient to sweep under the rug, Uh, but it's a lot harder to sweep a loss under the rug if Mm -hmm. you are arguing that there was no... Battle, yeah, you know what I mean. It's like if, if if you do, as was done, wipe out groups of people, mm-hmm. uh, which is another you know side of this incredibly dark time. Uh, it's easier to go like, no, 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 that you know didn't happen that way, and blah blah blah. But when it's like there was resistance, battle, and you lose, mm. it's harder to go like, oh no, that we just didn't want that spot. You
0: know, what was really interesting about this as well is that there were, no Europeans were actually killed in this conflict, mm. so they were simply just. Pushed out yeah. by superior uh, knowledge of the area mm. and and a better a basically a, a better strategic a advantage.
1: Strategic, tactical victory. Yeah,
0: mm. um, and so this has been uh, um, yeah. There's, so there's a monument at the site where this occurred that has sort of like given context for this uh, this particular battle, and it's also the area has been formally returned to uh, the the um, traditional owners.
3: Mm. Wow
0: which is really, really important. And we like talking about traditional ownership of the land and stuff. That's a whole conversation, but it's a really important aspect of this is the fact that this, this was land that eventually did actually get settled mm. by Europeans mm. and has now been returned yeah. to traditional ownership and traditional controls of the land.
1: Which might seem face value and kind of tokenistic, but it is a huge step. Uh, in terms of Australia's development and, and reconciliation. Because, and if you want to know more about this, obviously there's so much that we can't possibly cover. I do recommend that you look into uh, the Australian history of settlement and uh, and reconciliation and also uh, traditional owners and just to see what that relationship is really like because there's only mm. so much that we can really touch on.
0: Yeah, it, it is a very complicated complicated history to sort of get into in a, in a sort of one-hour podcast. Mm. Um, and so the final thing that I just wanted to touch on was sort of, touching back to this like great shift that we're hopefully going to see now with a, with a government that is kind of focused on this kind of reconciliation effort. And that's sort of like, so there was this this um, petition that was put forward called the Uluru Statement of the Heart, which was released in 2017 by Australian Aboriginal leaders. And what it is asking for is two things. Um, it's asking for, let me get this correct, sorry. A First Nations voice in the Australian uh, Constitution, so a constitutional recognition of Indigenous Australians, and a Makarata Commission. Makarata Commission, yeah. Um, Which is a supervised process of truth telling and agreement making to eventually lead to some form of treaty. Mm. Um, There's this continuing, particularly amongst modern Australians, of this idea that relations and a sense of equality has been established between indigenous australians and white settlers and whilst like
2: l- a form of it's fine now yeah. yeah it's kind of like oh we've we fixed that we did that it's people are so keen to sort of go oh we fixed that now don't have to don't have to feel guilty about this anymore yeah. like I'll yeah. oh, move on that's like, very convenient
0: yeah and so i think this this statement is really significant because it's really highlighting the fact that like whilst legislatively yes uh, in terms of census, uh, in terms of the census, in terms of elections, like whilst they have equal legislative rights, there is still a lack of recognition in our constitution. And I actually think, as a result of the 1967 referendum, which was a referendum that's very complicated, you can look into it, but. Um, it was kind of hallmarked as being this um, huge moment in, for uh, Indigenous Australians because there was an overwhelming support for changes for for Indigenous Australians. Mm-hmm. But look look into it; it's it's a very complicated thing. I could t- write an essay about it. Mm-hmm. Um, through that referendum, they actually removed any rec- uh, any mention of Indigenous Australians from the Constitution because of the way that they they removed the idea of the counting them in the census. It's very complicated. It was a double-edged sword. Sort of, yeah. And so they actually, any mention of Indigenous Australians has since been weirdly removed from the constitution through a progressive move forward in giving them extra sort of recognition in terms of census recognition. Mm. It's very complicated, obviously. So they're they're mainly calling for constitutional recognition of Indigenous ownership.
2: In this Uluru Statement of the Heart. In this
0: Uluru Statement of the Heart.
2: And I think the thing that's most important about it is the fact that it, emphasizes that the process is ongoing. Yes. Nothing about it is like, oh, it's done now. So it's not like the referendum council that met Neil and, and made this statement um, said, oh, you know, we want constitutional recognition that ha- puts us in the preamble and it'll all be symbolically wonderful and then we'll write one piece of law and then it'll be done. It's saying, no, this needs to be a voice in parliament so that it continues mm. to solve problems together. And then there's a macroeconomic commission to continually sort of truth-tell and build work towards treaties and the like. So it's like the myth it's breaking is the fact that um, this process is ongoing. Yeah. You know, we can't reconcile by snapping our fingers or voting in a referendum and go, yay, we did it. Big thumbs up to us. Yeah, pat pat ourselves (laughs) on the back for fixing that problem.
1: Um, And I think what's so good about the way that this new government is sort of presenting itself is it's been quite vocal in... Stating these things out loud and again, we'll see what happens. But like mm, yeah. it, at, for the very first time in a very long time, there is a, a, a voice of leadership that is inclusive and uh, optimistic mm. and talking positively about this relationship instead of um, ignoring it like the previous pack of degenerate, corrupt, worthless <laughs> cunts.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really elegant way of saying it, Jim And cheers you. to that. <laughs> yeah, that
1: and
0: so th- those are sort of I think really the core elements of this is the fact that it's sort of, you know, it's it's sort of a happy turn of events that the government did change the way that we did because I can talk about this with hope, with a sense of maybe with hope or mm. optimism for a potential shift because, you know, being uh, someone who engages in Australian history, I'm exposed to this. I, I'm the one that wades into this sort of mm. like, nuanced and difficult past and so it's nice to sort of do that knowing that hopefully things will get better
1: and when a government as our previous government did uh spent more time telling you how you feel about things um, rather than uh, actually responding to this this immense mandate from the Australian people, that w- not just for the, these relations with Indigenous Australians, but also towards action on climate change and all these things that the previous government were totally rejecting and telling us that we were gaslighting us into thinking that we were crazy for thinking. Now we have a government that's that's outspoken and saying these things. So I also feel optimistic, and that's good.
0: Yeah, and I think um, you know since we've been talking a lot about this sort of elections and stuff like that, it might be important to sort of explain Australia's electoral system. What, what a, a
2: wonderful segue, a tidy segue. Thank yeah. you, because
0: uh, because it's odd. Because I, I I engage with a lot of international students. I mm-hmm. have a lot of friends who are you know not from Australia. They they moved here only in the last six months. They were watching our election go. They were watching our campaign. They were seeing the results come in, and they were confused.
1: <laughs> can I can I just ask you, uh, on Anthony Green's behalf, uh, yes. w- um, how this fucking
2: works? Yes, pretty much. Yeah, so it like, seems really complicated. To people who are not familiar with it, yeah. um, but you know, I think what's really shocking is, like, to any Australians listening, you know, I'm, I know some of you may be feeling this the same way, and I know that because you know I've, you know, taught um, the voting system to you know first year uni students um, and some young folk, and who don't know how the system works. So yeah. you it's, it can't assume that everyone in Australia knows how the system works. People who are predominantly voting the way that their parents tell them to, which is very dangerous business in Australia, yeah. let me tell you.
0: So we get to like let Sam talk about one of his like secret, not so secret, but like... Deep Loves, which is talking about our electoral system because he's a huge nerd. <laughs> I didn't
2: bring my PowerPoint with all the candy bar charts. Oh,
0: no. Damn. What yeah. a shame. It would have
2: <laughs> been wasted on the audience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is an audio-only podcast. <laughs> so if
2: we're talking about some of the oddities about Australia, um, the, sort of, the sort of quirks that the rest of the world look at and say, well, what, what is this? How does it work? And our election nights are kind of one of them uh, because um, our voting system is, is, is a little unusual. Um, it's not, we're not the only one who uses it, uh, but we, we kind of made it our own. So it's preferential voting. Okay. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> blank, blank stairs. Let's do- uh, Oh
2: dear. Oh dear. Let's talk about the UK and the US. All right. If you're British, if you live in the US, you use first past the post voting system. That sounds like a silly name. What it really is, is the most simple intuitive voting system that you could use. You get a ballot, you get names, you get party. Hate this guy, hate this guy, hate this guy, hate this guy less. This guy hates me. This guy (laughs) hates me, yeah. Actually, that's a lot of the categories for a lot of people come to think of it. Yeah. Um, But then the one that I hate less, that party, you put an X on that one. Or in the case of the US, you use a big lever to poke a hole in it. That's very satisfying. I'm sure it makes a really good sound. Yeah.
0: But that's it. It's just one and done.
2: One and done, right? So what happens though is that if you have a lot of candidates, then the number of people who vote for that one candidate gets uh, smaller and smaller proportionally. So, you know, two candidates run only in an electorate of some kind or in a district, and easy. One of them will have an absolute majority. One of them will have 60% or something. Mm. But if you've got seven candidates running, then... The winning candidate, the candidate with the most votes, more than any other person. Yeah, even may, if that's like somebody got 30 votes and now yeah. they're in charge, like congratulations. Well, in an extreme case, yeah, but even in, in a normal everyday sort of uh, UK election, that person could have less than 20% of the vote. Can I ask you, d- does, does, do's? <laughs>
1: as the do's and the do's do's. I'm not doing a voice, I'm just I'm, I'm having a trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> does, does the UK have uh, compulsory voting? No, and see that's that strikes me as another issue. like we of course we can talk about this now, but Australia does have compulsory voting. all adults must mm-hmm. vote and i I'm in favor of that. I know some people aren't, but like it makes more sense to me because if you talk about the UK and the us with with optional voting, et cetera, I mean the us. is a fucking a disaster yeah, yeah, we're not a- about that. but like, that means that those 30 votes or that, you know, somebody with 20% of the vote winning, that's only 20% of the people who voted as well. Yeah, so that it's could be
2: like 20% exactly. tiny of
1: 20%. A fraction of the population and now this person is
2: literally in charge. Yeah, so, okay, and then everybody gets their ballot and, you know, we in Australia, we number them all. So if there's 12 candidates in your seat, you have to number them one to 12, Preferably not in the order that they just appear in the ballot paper. Some people do. Yeah, that's called a donkey but vote. We don't do us, that. Those of us
1: that do care, um, put the absolute <laughs> bastards at the bottom first. Yeah. The first thing you do. You count them, <laughs> you go, is it 12? There's number 12, Yeah, you, you sort of do bastard. it backwards, right? Yeah.
0: Don't you? You start at the most hated and work your way up to eh. Uh.
1: Like, for example, <laughs> I, uh, I, I voted uh, very aggressively against uh, a candidate named Peter Dutton, who is was, ha ha ha, the... Um, uh, Minister for Defence, I think he was. An all-round scumbag. Now he's the leader of the minority, which is just, just very tasty to hear. But unfortunately, he did win his seat. But... Of course, I put him at the very bottom of my ballot and I nearly broke my pencil uh, doing it. And when I folded up my ballot and put it into the box, the lady looked at me funny because I literally said the words, take that, you
2: piece of shit, <laughs> as I slipped it into the, the fucking yeah. box. So that's Felt a call negative voting. Yeah, And it's really common in Australia, mm. probably because of the preferential voting system and also... I was also excited about the top of the ballot. Come on. <laughs> yeah. But it's just
1: I very particularly wanted to say, yeah. take that, you piece no, of exactly. shit.
2: Yeah. yeah, but no, everybody votes. Now, and what you said, Jim, when you said, um, you know, it, it's crazy that, you know, that person won in the US or the UK and that was only 20% of the people who showed up. Mm-hmm. That is such an Australian perspective you could have on this. But virtually no one in the world has compulsory voting to the extent that we do. And the is rest it, of the world looks at us like we're crazy. Is it because, <laughs> is
1: it because uh, the particularly American opinion currently is that we don't have uh, hashtag freedom here in Australia? <laughs> What with our lack of gun deaths and uh, and compulsory voting,
2: people who argue for compulsory voting in the U.S. receive that argument. They say, "But that's a it's an impingement on liberty." Even worse, because even you know even like you know Canada, which is a little bit more of a comparable nation to us in many ways, mm-hmm. Canada. Um, they still get that sort of argument of just like, you can't compel people to exercise their rights. That's insane. They don't And yeah. Australia's like, vote. sure you can.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> the thing bit- is, you don't have to fill out the ballot. You could just walk in, get the piece of paper, put it in the box and walk out. That least if, you if, voted. If you want
1: to have an, an you, angry response to this. Yeah. But I mean, like the logic behind that is insane, right? So you're impinging on my right... To ignore who is elected so that the people elected can then further impinge my rights without me having a voice in who's in charge. There, it's just like you're impinging my right to have my rights impinged. It's fucking yeah, insane. But
2: we've had it for more than um, yeah, I think just about hundred years now of compulsory voting, mm. and that means that it's just it's instilled in us yeah, because it's it is. And no, there's, this isn't just off the dome as well. Like this is in election studies. You can you can find data on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Australians see it as a duty, and if they had the choice to repeal it, they wouldn't by a massive margin. Mm -hmm. I
0: also think the other thing that's really significant, so there's only one other... Malta is the only other country that has enforced compulsory voting.
2: Actually, I quickly looked this up beforehand. I think a lot of countries use compulsory voting to to various extents, but it's not as enforced as here. Yeah, so
0: you actually get a fine if you don't vote here. But the other thing that we have that no other nation has is compulsory registration for anybody mm. of voting age. So it's not, you. so previously, this was introduced in the last five, 10 years, I mm-hmm. think. Previously, you didn't have to register to vote, but if you were registered to vote, you had to vote. Now, if you were 18 years old, you, you have must to register, regis- to you have to, which means that we now have like, I think don't like people from the US and the UK look at us and go like, oh wow, 97%. Fucking turnout rate. That's and amazing, yeah. and we're like, it's compulsory. Yeah. Yeah. It's homework. <laughs> three, <laughs> percent of,
1: three percent of the population just got in big trouble. Yeah.
0: I just got, well, I mean, and the, like, I I think the fine's only like what. It's not very much. Forty bucks
1: or something. Yeah. Like. So again, if you want, if you feel like your rights are impinged, fucking stand up for yourself, you
2: dickhead. <laughs> like yeah. In whatever way you feel like doing. Do, you even, decri- child, do, you, do you, a you even w- want to describe? Do you even want to describe
0: the Senate system? Like- I'm
2: not going to describe the Senate system. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Nobody. Even wants I don't that. want that. Like okay. Cool. So the, I want to say something about compulsory voting. Is that when it was introduced, um, it was so not a thing. Like it was, it was a non-event. Like okay, and it was it was as simple as this pure no pragmatism.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was also no social media at the time, amping up how fuck shit it is.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, in the 1920s, there was just lowering turnout. It was getting really low, like 50 percent. The kind of stuff that you, oh, that the really US hard. would dream of at times. Like,
1: it's a hot day. It's fucking
2: yeah. It's raining. <laughs> don't want to do it. Don't want to do it. And so they just said, "Why don't we make it compulsory?" And they said, "Good idea." Except for one guy apparently who was just like, "No, it impinges on freedom," and everyone else was like, "We don't care." <laughs> Shut, the <fuck> <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. So, but it's it, but it's. There's a great book on this. And by like I was just Brett. an American tourist, just
1: like. <laughs> <It> <laughs> what are you thinking?
2: There's a great book on this called "From Secret Ballot to Democracy Sausage" by Judith Brett. Uh, from <laughs> I draw from oh, in this is moment. Oh, was that the book that was on the table? Before. It was. Yeah. yeah.
0: Where is that book on?
2: It's gone somewhere. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it's irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> totally <podcast>. irrelevant. Um, <laughs> the point of that is that. Uh, by the 1920s that would already been like decades and decades of this pragmatic approach to democracy that Australians have Mm. Um, preferential voting was introduced in similar ways although that was a little bit more partisan to be honest Um, but the secret ballot was invented in Australia
1: the secret ballot so what you in other countries before then you'd walk up and go I'm voting (laughs) for this man
2: yeah so in the mid 19th century Australian elections were still being Um, run like the British elections were which were not dissimilar to what you just did Mm -hmm. Um, and which would basically be a a small mob that would descend on your local pub or wherever the ballots were were happening Mm -hmm. Um, someone would either hand you a pre-printed ballot much like our how to vote cards in Australia Um, Mm -hmm. they would hand you a pre-printed ballot which you would hand to somebody else (laughs) or you would simply go up to a person who was keeping track and say I'm voting for this man (laughs) here Um, <laughs> and they would have a live tally behind it. And the problem with this is because it was all out in the open. Um, there would be this phenomenon called treating, where people would um, you know, bribe you. They would just say, "Hey, here's a ticket to buy lunch from this pub. I'll shout you lunch if you go vote in this way." Holy shit! Yeah, so that's not—that's
0: not on—is what
1: but that is. means. I mean, that—I mean, that isn't that. I only say shouldn't that be illegal because it is. (laughs) Um,
2: uh, It was entirely normal I have
1: a question, though. Didn't ancient Greeks do this? I mean, with the the voting, they kind of had a Mm -hmm. piece of pottery that they'd drop into a a piece of pottery that wasn't broken. (laughs) Um, It's got a hole in the bottom. Just like a name on it, just like I'll fang that in there. And then that was it. And that's actually where the word ostracism comes from uh, because Ostrakos, I think, meant like the broken piece of pottery. Uh, And so you'd vote to,
2: to fuck someone off. So wait. And it'd be they'd be ostracized. Hang on, you're telling me that ostracized has no relation to the word ostrich. 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 The no, bird. I <laughs> for the bird.
1: Are you implying that they have a system where they kick the weak out of their herd of ostrich? I don't think I've ever thought about it. I just assumed the words were connected. Can I? Can I just say that for a very smart person, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> I think that I. I think. You're correct in a lot of ways, but about
1: ostrich or about No,
0: no, no, about about sort of the Greeks inventing the secret ballot in that way, but I do think it was slightly different because there was still there wasn't a culture of like not sharing your vote. Yeah, and they do, could and, still be pressed into it. And they could still be pressed day. into but it. Oh, probably it's violently,
2: it's it? not just the secrecy. So okay, I described to you about like you just go up and say someone's name or you get a preprinted ballot. Mm-hmm. Um this time it's an actual ballot that's been preprinted by the government. And you go, like in our elections today, you go mm. in there and they give you a pencil. Yeah. And so this was just invented by people in, like, I think South Australia and Victoria. It was in Southern Australia. fucking
0: would be South Australia too.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they just said, this this disorderly election will not do. Sort it out. <laughs> sort it out. Sort You're going to your come shit. in and they're going to have a little booth where no one can see your vote. You'll use pencil, they used quill initially, but it ain't got everywhere and was gross. Actually, in the first time they were using it, they had a pre-printed ballot of names. And this is before preferential voting. Each person got a quill. And they voted by crossing out every single name except the one they wanted to keep. Oh, oh man, bring that's that back! So fucking satisfying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yes, I'd, I would. Bre- I'd need multiple pencils, I reckon. I would just break it every single. Literally, one. how I vote. <laughs> 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 Emphatically so.
0: Wait, so, so is the innovation the booth? Is the innovation the, the government thing? printed? Because we have the AEC, which is our. It, it's a central body that. Yeah, administers it, our elections yeah. unlike other countries where they actually are administered what on a district level or yeah. something like that so we have it's I a don't horrifying like it. concept I don't like it. um but yeah so we so we invented the centralized ballot like mm-hmm. so every ballot looks the same yep. the booth the that you commission. do it yep. and that you also the, the pencil situation with the ballot
2: um yes so and remember we're calling it secret ballot but the rest of the world um did and still does in many ways call it the Australian ballot. Yeah. So it's the way of voting. That mm-hmm. particular model actually took over the world because it's the best way of running an election securely. Yes. Um, so as we show all the time, we're one of the best democracies in the world in this respect. So um, go get them. It kind of gets me excited thinking about it because this was just an idea people had to make democracy work mm. and they didn't really think about it taking over the world. They it just feels, sort of did it. It feels fucking clean to me. It well, feels I, good.
0: I like that idea because um, there's a lot of things that have been invented in Australia um, that are kind of really, really impactful. Uh, I think you have one that's about toilets.
2: The dual flush toilet.
0: Was invented so you in like Australia. So your
2: pee flush and your poo flush. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yes. Um, other things that were invented in Australia were black box flight recorders. They're in Austra- they were oh, actually a right. response to an Australian uh, flight crash and that they're happened. And they are
2: actually black. I wonder what happened. Um, They're not actually black because if they were black, you would never find them. That's a stupid color for that. Yeah. So they're like fluorescent orange.
0: Oh, sick. Then why? Um, Anyway, I I don't know
2: why they call the black box. Okay.
0: (laughs) There's also the electronic pacemaker uh, was invented in Australia. Wasn't the
2: fridge invented here?
1: Probably.
0: Are we just
2: making things up now?
0: Medical applications of penicillin uh, was created in Australia. Google Maps was actually built in Australia. Nice. Um, And uh, kind of perhaps more importantly the polymer banknote was invented and disseminated from australia so samuel what the hell is the polymer banknote
1: the polymer bank it's plastic cash plastic Plastic money it's the reason you can't say make that paper
2: in australia
0: (laughs) yes make that polymer
2: (laughs) polymer stuff um, um, I don't know the scientific name of the specific polymer used, but it's sort of like a, it's sort of like it got this nice matte finish to it. Almost mm-hmm. like the feeling of our money. And
0: our co- money is colourful too, which is nice. It
2: is very colourful. So we didn't always have polymer banknotes. They were invented in the 80s, um, and they were invented in the 80s because when Australia switched over to dollars from pounds. In The 60s. Oh, because of course we were still using the the British pound and pounds, shillings, and pence oh, it doesn't make any sense. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll let you, that.
0: we'll let, give you that one. I, I
1: tried to pull out of that. Did you hear me try and pull yeah. out of that joke halfway yeah. through? Like, I, I regretted it. <laughs> um,
0: but we yeah. there was a whole campaign to shift to the decimal based, currency. yeah, yeah, in the 60s.
2: There's a there's an ad that um it's really hilarious to watch actually because it's just you so can find 60s. it on
0: youtube can't it's, you yeah yeah it's terrific
2: yeah. anyway so in the 80s they, they thought there's this is a problem because the paper money of the paper dollars was being counterfeited really apparently. so they thought we need to stop the counterfeiting of $10 bills um and so polymer banknotes were sort of a solution to that because they're really hard to copy and if you look if you look at australian money and i suggest if you don't have australian money Uh, Because you're not in Australia, I suggest looking it up because it's really colorful and cute. (laughs) Fucking get a job, would you? Just Just go take your resume into (laughs) the subway (laughs) and tell them you're interested. It feels
1: a lot like you're speaking from experience. Like that was so specific. (laughs) That was visceral, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Um, So the
2: banknotes, they have got like little transparent sections. They've got little holographic bits, complex patterns, little textures. Mm. Actually, now they actually have Braille on them as well. Wow. That's actually just nice.
0: Yeah, and so, they also have like images on them too.
2: You got images on them. Well, money always has images on them, oh. but they're like cool images. Yeah, um, stylized cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. they're waterproof as well.
0: Which is perfect for the old coastal water surfy climate that also we all... a
1: highly humid place.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: I don't want my money to sweat. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing about it though is that... And I'm going to, for the second time in this podcast, reference Matt Parker from Stand Up Maths on YouTube because it's a great video about Australian money and him arguing it's the best in the world. Hell Um, yeah. The coolest thing about it is that the length, not just the length change, but many dimensions of it change. So So each note changes in length. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, okay, American money, if you hold it up, together they're the same size it's uniform and they look really similar as well it's really hard to tell them apart You look at the number
0: one dollar hundred dollar they look exactly the same
2: yep a couple of bloody zeros um australian money like other like uk money is the same they shift via length in proportion to their um, value yeah
1: like the pound note is actually quite big i found like when i was over there using that currency for the first time my Mm. wallet wasn't big enough it would like stick out (laughs) the top of my wallet how does that feel Felt uh, real bad in my pocket. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. Because cool I don't like cash at all. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> I
2: hate money. Um, it increases in like almost exact proportion to the value of the money. Okay, right. That's but fun. It, but it's not just length. It's also thickness. Girth as well. Sure. Can we just say girth? <laughs> Do you mind? So the girth of the cash mm-hmm. changes in proportion with the value. So,
0: so like a $50 note is... Th- Thicker yep. than a $5 note. Thick.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about this, like, are they really thicker? And then I pictured it in my mind. Like, oh, yeah, the $5 notes are really slippy. And, like, the 50s, you want to kind of slap them in your hand. When was the last time you held a $50 <laughs> note? There, uh, about, a six <laughs> <laughs> about six weeks ago.
0: About six weeks ago because tattoos are a cash economy oh, still. Of course, yeah. Um, That's bizarre. But I, also, I think you're missing a really key point about Australian currency. What is that? It's not terrible. Ah yes, you can't rip it apart. Oh,
2: terrible. It's, not, just,
0: terrible. Just thinking, it's not, <laughs> not
2: terrible.
1: It's not terrible. Just like we were just literally talking about the dark no, history of rip, Australia. You, you,
0: you can't rip it. And,
2: yeah, like, it's not terrible. Okay, I get
0: um, it.
2: fun jokes. Yeah, fun jokes, guys. Yep, So Australian innovations, plastic cash, and it's now being adopted more and more around Canada the world. Canada has
0: plastic cash now. Yes,
2: UK actually, I'm pretty sure has plastic cash oh, now. Just so wow. introduced.
0: Way to copy that. us. So
2: hmm. the polymer banknote exporting, and in fact, Australia prints money for other countries i had no idea about this we print it for new zealand don't we yeah we print new zealand told you new
0: zealand was going to come back up
2: nice we print their money yeah that's very nice of us yeah or is it here you go have some money doesn't pay us for the money how's this work (laughs) how much is their money worth to them this is uh. oh my god if i buy your gold and gold buys gold then who has bought the polymer banknotes? But I think what's
0: <laughs> also really... so, And I think people do look at our money and go, it's so colourful and bright and isn't it cute? And it kind of reinforces that kind of cute, fun aesthetic that we have. Yeah. Um, if you also look at our coins, they've all got like animals on them. They've got anim- animals. They're cute. They're so cute. They've got like a echidna. I think we've spoken about echidnas before. Well, yeah, we before.
1: need... Uh, well, because of our need to make a TV show about it. Professor Echidna. <laughs> I thought it was Inspector Echidna. <laughs> Inspector Echidna, echidna that's right, yeah. right. Professor
0: Echidna is also good.
1: That's great. That yeah, could he be a good yeah, But his they're cousin. both French, obviously.
0: So I think the Echidna is on the five cent piece.
1: Yeah. Like maybe. I haven't seen coins in Again, a long I don't. Time. I don't look at money. The
0: Platypus is on the 20 cent coin.
1: And there's, uh, there's a kangaroo
2: on one there's of a them.
0: On there's a kangaroo, kangaroo. A kangaroo. <laughs> okay. uh, on the 50 cent, I think. No, this.
2: What? Yes, there's a kangaroo on the 50 I was like, are you fucking We're questioning? We're Australian. We yeah. know what's on the money. Well, a kookaburra
1: on the $2 coin.
0: I think a kookaburra on the $2 coin, and I think there's a ringtail possum on the $1. Okay, cool. What? Right? I so don't we, think so. I'm gonna okay. look
2: You the- Google, I will speak. Yeah. So, so I- we need to conclude our Australiana journey with a huge uh, absence from our story so far, which is about the, the natural world of Australia, Yay. which in many ways is iconic. Um Of Australia itself In fact our national emblem Is more or less a kangaroo Mm. Um, They actually tried to replace it They they had a whole like You know sort of um, government group sort of put together a new logo that's sort of to represent Australia. And it was meant to be a wattle. But unfortunately, it's this sort a of wattle like... wattle is a, a, a flowering tree. That's sort of circular. So the flower circular. So it's got this like gold circle with all these like spikes coming out of it with dots. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the coronavirus pandemic Yeah, just like <laughs> it just looks like thought, COVID. It just looks like COVID. I was
1: about to make that joke. I didn't even know that. But I'm just like, surely that just looks like a, a virus. So they threw it away. <laughs> and we're back to the kangaroo.
0: We were completely wrong about all things. Um... Unsurprisingly. So the $2 coin actually has an Aboriginal tribal elder set in the background of a Southern cross. Yes. The $1 coin has five kangaroos, which doesn't seem to make sense. Five, but a $1. Anyway, that's a whole thing. Um, The $0.50 coin features the Australian coat of arms, which means it has a brolga and a kanga on it. Uh, Kanga being the short form for kangaroo. Uh, $0.20 was platypus. 10 cent is the male liar bird, and then the 5 cent coin is the echidna. Oh,
3: yeah. But it's yeah, the echidna.
0: E- e- yeah. e-
2: <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you bought a bag of lollies in 1993. Yeah.
0: But the echidna is like it curled up, but like its belly up.
2: Oh, yeah. It's
0: very cute. You
1: know, one
2: sense is still it's legal trying to tunnel. find
1: the clues. <laughs> Perhaps they are in my belly button fluff. I will pursue the clues
2: we got to make this (laughs) joke.
0: So, sorry, I wasn't really listening to what you were saying um, about animals for a second. I was talking about
2: iconic Australian animals that we must briefly discuss to conclude our Australian agenda. Okay,
0: can I talk about the monotremes, please? Yes. So, Echidna is a really great segue into what is the... uh, It's a class... So, everyone knows about the mammals. They live birth, feed their babies milk. Mammal. Yes. Marsupial... Live birth, feeds milk, pouchy boy.
1: Pouches.
0: Pouchy boy. So wombats are marsupials. Koalas are the worst of the marsupials. What is
1: happening with the pronunciation <laughs> of words <laughs> Wait, why on this podcast? The because
0: they don't clean their pouches. Oh yeah, they're yikes. nasty. Kangaroos. That is the iconic marsupial. We also have a subcategory of of animals here that only exists in Australia. I'm fairly certain called the monotreme. Okay. The monotreme. Is um, so it's a mammalian animal, so it feeds their young milk but lays eggs, right? So, like a reptile lays eggs, a yes. bird lays eggs, mm-hmm. they lay eggs and then they feed their and but like then they feed feed
2: their young milk, milk after hatching,
0: after hatching.
2: Okay, so Western science had this really neat typology of. Types of animals, and then Australia, Australia, just, Australia just fucking ruined fucking it. it. Yeah, and so oh, the echidna
0: is an iconic one, but the one that perhaps ha- holds a little bit more mystery uh, is the platypus. The, platypus. <laughs> the <laughs> platypus.
1: The platypus. The platypus is a salad of animals. Oh my god. It's okay. How would you describe a platypus? <laughs> um, I don't know. It's kind of like a like a, a beaver if it ran really fast into the back of a duck. Uh, <laughs> 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 and uh, and it swims and it ha it's very small and very cute, but it also has poisonous talons and um The
0: males have a poisonous bar behind their back right foot. I thought they show like
1: poison darts, but that's clearly wrong. <laughs> that's, that's a dream you had. Um,
0: <laughs> my god.
1: But no, yeah, so it's it's uh it's a salad of a creature. It's yeah. just everything at once.
0: People didn't believe that it was a real animal. Mm. So pe- like um so early uh sort of like explorers of like white explorers, obviously indigenous Australians knew all about the platypus already. We're mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, like sending back reports and people like, they're making shit up. This, this is, is not this fucking is real. Bullshit. Yeah, and so the platypus, um, they're incredibly shy despite the fact that they have a, again, poisonous fucking barb, yeah. very shy, but they lay eggs, but then they suckle.
2: Have we described the only two monotremes? Because isn't isn't it a category of just like no?
0: Because there's two different kinds of echidna, so technically it's three.
2: Okay, well thanks. <laughs> there's three. So there's like of, there's mammals of which there's Many. countless thousands. There's marsupials again, heaps. But heaps of marsupials because that's not there's marsupials outside of Australia, right? There, are there are.
1: two types of echidna, like a regular echidna and then Private Investigator. Is that like? Is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a subclass. This one has a beret. Arrest- <laughs> <and, laughs> bonjour. I'm stuck on it, man. I just love the um, character.
0: Yeah, and so, and then basically Australia was just like, you know what will be fun? fucking with everybody.
2: Marsupial, another marsupial, one of my personal favourites, is the Bilby. The Bilby. The Bilby is a little cute rat thing. That's a marsupial, so it's still got a little pouch. It's, like, it's like, like a the rat size kangaroo. Of like rat kangaroo rabbit friend. Yeah, it's super cute. Um, and it's, it's really cool because in Australia for a long while, there was this campaign to change the Easter bunny in chocolate to the Easter Bilby. Because rabbits here are an enormous <laughs> pest. They, yes. The so Europeans brought them they were introduced. in 19th century. What was yep. it for?
1: Was it literally just it for hunting, hunting purposes? Yeah. Just like for, and for game. They were like,
2: for, Oh, for... she'll be right, they said, probably. And then <laughs> like and then they brought them this is just the British, so it was probably just like, Yes, it will be fine because I say so unreasonably. Yes. Um and then of course it got out of hand. Rabbits escaped and Bred, bred, bred. like rabbits. It, yeah, and also they couldn't shoot for shit, obviously. Yeah. And um, now they're everywhere and they're still adorable, but they are a horrible pest. Yes. And they destroy wombat's. Um, food and habitat because they, they eat it so quickly. That's so rude. Anyway, but on the bright note, the bilby is adorable and the bilby is another endangered Australian and indeed indigenous bilby. to Australia in, like, unlike of, the, yeah. the rabbit. So, um, yeah, so like hence the campaign to change it to be like, oh, let's have little chocolate Easter bilbies, which also happen to be somehow cuter than an Easter bunny. It's amazing. But, yeah. But, you know, Americanism kind of won out. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. And then like in, in a bunch all of these like Mammals, marsupials, monotremes. We've also got some of the funniest birds in the world. Like we have like, we oh, have the scrub turkey. I the scrub turkey. scrub turkey. Classic, pl- classic. I've literally got one tattooed on me. The I love turkey. this bird. They're basically like, so like, don't think of like an American turkey. Think mm-hmm. smaller. They're kind of black with feathers. They have like a waddle. So they have this like this like sack at the front of their face. Yellow
1: sack. Yellow and redhead. red. Red head. Kind of nude red head.
2: And, and they, they scuttle and they dig.
0: And they dig and they make mounds for Nondescript reasons.
3: Well, it's the very females
2: cute. they make mounds so that they can they can lay eggs. The males just make mounds for reasons that aren't clear. Maybe geeks. just mm. to show off, or maybe just because they just make mounds. I don't know. It's sure. just something we do with the boys. We <laughs>
0: also have the ibis, the bin chicken.
1: By the way, there is a, a turkey in my backyard, like as we speak right now. Well, they uh, consider
2: so, so many people consider them a pest because they come into your garden and they rip up your garden to make their mounds. Yeah, but they're nice. Yeah, they are nice. And it's, yeah, I find them calming. I find their relentlessness calming. They are relentless. Nothing will stop them achieving their goals. I've seen them being attacked by minor birds, like (laughs) swooping them. And they just sort of keep on digging. Yeah. Nothing's going to stop
0: them. Yeah. So we also have the Ibis, which I think is like basically a tourist attraction in particularly (laughs) Brisbane. (laughs) Um, And then we also have like, because of where we work, the curlews. Have you ever heard a curlew call? I, I
1: have, yeah. I mean, we, we recently spent a little bit of time in Morton Island uh, on holiday, and uh, the curlews there, uh, it sounds a lot like someone murdering someone else <laughs> in, in the a distant very past. In the distant past. Yeah, yeah um,
0: they're sort of like.
1: It's a murder echo.
0: Yeah, and it's. um, They're really kind of adorable but scary all at the same time and then they scream at walls and it's
2: odd. (laughs) (laughs) They just face the wall. With one leg up as well. Like at at uni I see them all the time there's just one leg up and just standing in front of a glass wall going "Ah!" Yeah.
0: yeah and so thank you <laughs> that was a pretty good color that was a pretty yeah, good yeah. and we also have beautiful birds
2: we have kookaburras we have um other
1: birds Yeah, we tend to get kookaburras in the backyard here we also get like rainbow lorikeets, lorikeets as well yes. which are beautiful and then of course the classic kind of sulfur crested cockatoo oh. um and other types of cockatoo but um the, it's funny the, the the rainbow lorikeets make kind of like a sweet chirpy sing-songy kind of sound um and the cockatoo screech in just this <laughs> really hideous, like rattly <laughs> scream. Yeah. And I, I, I think that is really iconic as well. Yeah, And
0: you've also then got the kookaburra, which just laughs at you and it yeah. feels personal. It, it
2: does. It feels very frightening. Yeah. It's, it's a non-inclusive laugh, isn't it? I yeah. remember one, one time uh, I, was, I was leaving the house and behind the glass door leading outside the, on a tree, there was a kookaburra it sounds like the beginning of some sort of parable but anyway <laughs> there's a kookaburra on on a branch and i just saw it and i just just and the, with the doors closed i thought i'll make a little kookaburra noise i was like Whoa! and it just turned immediately and lo- made direct eye contact and i was like i shat myself that was i was fucking afraid i
0: i do want to also highlight that we don't have the weirdest birds in the world new zealand has the weirdest birds in the world they have the Kiwi bird, Mm -hmm. which weirdly enough kind of does look like a kiwi fruit. Um, (laughs) Okay. They do. They're like fuzzy and brown, but they're also like way bigger than you think they are. Like they're they're not, they're they're like a chunky boy. They're flightless. I don't know why. I do know why New Zealand doesn't have any land predators. And then, of
1: course, there's like the kakapo as well. The kakapo,
0: which is just like, it's like refusing to mate. It's it's, refusing to mate. It's refusing
1: to have. (laughs) Evolutionary and reproductive value, I think, is what it's <laughs> But it's today.
0: so cute. Look it up.
1: They're very, very cute. Uh, there's uh, also a documentary uh, with Stephen Fry and Mark Carwardine, which is uh, Last Chance to See, which was based on a book by Douglas Adams. Yes. Um, and uh, it was just basically exploring endangered creatures around the world and then they're going back now and revisiting them in the documentary and the section on the kakapo is absolutely fucking hilarious. And there's massive uh,
0: conservation efforts with them um, at the moment and they've invented many things to help them breed. Um, and they are slowly, they actually are slowly building up their numbers which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, and
1: uh, probably pointless. <laughs> like, like in the grand scheme of things, it's just kind of like a funny thing to do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I think the... Um, outside of like the land so obviously we're an island girt by sea we some are might say. Um so our oceans are filled with things that will definitely try and kill you and you may not even know it's an animal it's literally a note that I wrote down you may not even
1: know <laughs> like your stonefish for like example like your stonefish, that, but I'm, you're stonefish. So, I'm by the way that is like Right up there with one of the scariest things oh, I could think horrifying. of. Oh, horrifying. very scared of It's stonefish. like the
0: lionfish and the stonefish are both things that I read about and like learned about so much that I expected to see them all the time.
2: Well, yeah, exactly. Never seen one. Fear. Stonefish is a fish It's that, a rock. Yeah, it looks exactly like a rock and living in shallow water. And if you step on it, which is reasonable considering it looks like a rock- um, it stabs you with spikes that kills you horribly, basically, because it yeah. gives you this nerve toxin.
0: Yeah. and So, so that's Australia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and yeah, then and and like yeah. and then if it's not that that'll get you, it's the blue ring doctor puss, it's the box jellyfish, it's the shark, it's mm. the, I don't know, the drowning, like, I don't know. Come okay. <laughs> <On> to Australia. <laughs> come visit. Yeah. Um, there's a whole, s- it just reminded me doing this research of that um, song, which is like, come to Australia, you might accidentally get killed. <laughs> <laughs> and it talks about like the blue ring doctor puss, but also talks about all the snakes that we have. Well, I know that like
2: a lot of people who come to Australia for the first time, the thing they're thinking about is snakes. It's like, oh, my God, am I going to see a snake? Like, I'm so scared of seeing a snake because yeah. we have so many snakes here. And so I actually looked up before this the, the, the you know, the list of the most venomous snakes in the world. <laughs> and I was unsurprised to learn that about, I think, at least four of the top ten were in Australia. The That's number like... one was <laughs> Australia. And how many of them were taipans? Three of, so three of those were taipan snakes.
0: Of um, different kinds of taipans. So
2: the number one is the inland Taipan, which is mm-hmm. like so central eastern Australia. Mm-hmm. And that has apparently enough venom in its venom sack in one bite to kill 100 humans. Oh, that's good.
0: That's excessive. Get
2: the job done. Go on you know I mean? In a I row. Mean... <laughs> Send your strongest fighter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fight the Taipan.
0: He
3: has the
1: strength of 100 men. <laughs> your deal is accepted. <laughs> That's my snake voice.
0: <laughs> my God, um, seems suitably
1: venomous. So that's number
0: one most venomous, venomous snake, 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 and it's in, in the world. Is it in Queensland?
2: Uh, maybe I saw vaguely on a map. It was in Central Eastern, so it was in sort of deserty, sort of in the maybe oh, okay. scares
1: me though. It's like where where is the most dangerous snake in the world uh, around?
0: We, we have
2: no fucking idea where this thing is.
0: <laughs> right? um, what's the next most Venomous.
2: Well, the next most is a snake from Papua New Guinea, but the, the a third shit. next is, <laughs> <laughs> that's for another episode. <laughs> the third next was the brown snake. Classic. Mm. The Eastern brown snake. Now that one is around. Mm-hmm. You can find that one in Brisbane. And it's like, You can it's pick Queen that time. up
0: at your local snake store. <laughs> I don't Do know not. how many
2: humans it can kill in one go, but oh. I assume a lot. Um, but brown snakes are really placid. So mm. they're very different. Brown snakes and a lot of other dangerous snakes in Australia they're don't not actually attack you. chase you. Down. Like red
0: belly blacks will exactly. not attack you. They're not that
2: interesting. If you, it's only if you go and poke them with a stick and try and move them. Or accidentally step on them. Yeah, Or step on them. But the Taipan will attack uh, if it feels like it. And when it attacks, it will attack with multiple bites. It's really angry. So, it, yeah. That's, yeah, and it makes that sound as well. <laughs>
1: That's a, that's how you know there's one there because I was like, ha ha, ka 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 <laughs> cow, the um. It's a very dramatic snake. I just hate the idea that it, it attacks because it feels like it. <laughs> because fuck you in particular. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's just like I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> whereas, and like, I'm you know, like I, I'm obviously
1: you. scared of the brown snake. I'm scared of the red belly black snake, these things that you can and do come across. Mm-hmm. But, like, the idea that, you know, you could
2: stamp your feet nearby, let them know that you're there, and they might just go, ah, oh, fuck this. Yeah, so. like, not- I, th- I think it's not like a random attack. I think it's still just like they will only attack you if there's reason to. Mm-hmm. But if they do attack, they will inflict multiple bites and-
0: with unmatched ferocity that, and, with, the phrasing, yes. and with, <laughs> with
1: enough. Um, With enough venom to kill uh, 100 people three times. Well, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I I do think that's
0: the case with like there was one, there's one in the Tugum area, which is up kind of near the Sunshine Coast. (laughs) Not Harvey Bay. (laughs) Bay. Sorry. (laughs) Whoops.
2: Way beyond.
0: And it's like one bite will kill you. So it's (laughs)
2: just, it's just. That is the Taipan. It's
0: It's unnecessary. It's the coastal
2: Taipan. Yeah. So it's just one bite, but it just goes.
0: It's like a yeah. really fucking like really makes to get the you know. Let's get the job
2: done because I'm upset because uh, apparently they're really accurate as well. They get quicker for like the veins.
0: Oh my oh, god! Amazing,
2: dude. It's frightening. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's
0: uh, <a> real, Wow. <laughs> this uh,
2: uh, is
1: going downhill. From the it? Bilby to here. From yeah, bilby to, yeah, yeah. And
0: obviously we're not going to talk about spiders, but there's a lot. There's a lot. That's all we have to say we about them. We covered a few of them in the caving episode. Yeah, we're fine. But, like, I do think it's it's interesting. We do have quite a lot of animals that you can't find anywhere else, quite a lot of bird life you can't find anywhere else.
1: The uniqueness of kind of uh, essentially an island and how that affects its uh, um, fauna. Like, I mean, if you look at things like the, the fascinating creatures on the Galapagos Islands and stuff like yeah. that and, and the the very concept of island dwarfism or island gigantism mm. where things change because of the isolation aspect and evolution accelerating as a result of that because it's there's a smaller breeding pool rather than a, a you know and while australia is massive it still is an island and has been for for a long 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 very long time um and uh and our fauna and its uniqueness is almost a direct result of that um, but it's one of those things that people really celebrate australia like you say about, um, you know, the kangaroo almost being a, a direct symbol of Australia mm. for other people. I think the koala is right up there as well because, you know, if you meet people overseas mm. uh, and they talk about Australia, one of the things they say is, I've always wanted to go hug a koala. Um,
0: <laughs> they smell.
1: They, they And they smell and they're gross and they're very aggressive when they breed. and they, <laughs> you, you would think that like a koala would make kind of a sweet sound, but really, I mean, like if a koala is upset during breeding season, you'll hear like a... <clears throat> from there and it's just kind of like, I love this song. Um <laughs> <laughs> but all in all, I think, I think that's all we wanted to cover. We wanted to, mm. There was a, some big gaps in what we did. It was a long episode last time and yet there was so much more to cover. And I think it's reflective of the fact that we are so passionate about the country that we come from and so eager to uh, both explain ourselves <laughs> to the world but also to kind of celebrate ourselves a little bit and we're, we're very proud um, despite all of the, the darkness in the earlier part of this episode. But what makes us proud about that? Is the fact that, again, with the election recently, there has been a resounding message from Australia that we are sick and tired of a narrative that doesn't include Indigenous Australians and that we are in favour of a, uh, a movement forward and an inclusive movement and reconciliation as an ongoing process. And I think that that's very exciting uh, above all else. Absolutely. So thanks for listening, guys. I hope that you uh, took away something that wasn't just deadly snakes from today's episode, (laughs) as fun as that is. Um, If you want, you can find us on social media. And if we missed anything, actually, do hit us up on social media, particularly with our pronunciation, uh, because that's always fun. Uh, So, again, thanks for listening. You can hit us on social media at The Music and Everything Podcast on Instagram and at TMIE Podcast on Twitter. It's been wonderful hanging out with you. Goodbye from me and the Sams. Bye. Goodbye. Take care of each other and we'll talk to you soon.